but uh, we've been journeying through Acts, and it never ceases to amaze me because it's almost seemingly so like stuff will pop up. Obviously, um, Justin's mom passed, and that was really hard. Um, but uh, dang it. it says my ears are thick in here this morning. Um, but watch how he carried that. Wow. Thank you. I love this guy. I love all you guys. But that impressed me. But it never ceased to make me, even with all that going on, and uh, it wasn't, wasn't planned for me to, to get to talk with you guys about what we're learning about today. Um, but yet, still is a, is a portion of scripture that obviously, it's just how Holy Spirit works, contains some of the stuff that's been heavy on my heart. Maybe not necessarily heavy, but just like God has been having me marinate in for a little while. Um, the scripture we got this morning is, uh, we're in Acts 5, and I've got 12 through 16. And I'm going to read it, and then we're just going to kind of dive in. This is, this is for those of you who know me, I'm not, I don't have a seminary degree. I'm not a pastor. I just live the Is it? Okay. Uh, I'm not used to this. This is going to even be more awkward. Sorry, brother. I appreciate you. I'll just have to hold it. Is it available? Does that have batteries? That'll probably spare us all a lot of heartache of not being able to hear. Sorry, guys. We'll get there. At least give me time to compose myself. Awesome. If, if not, we'll roll with the punches. What do you think? Good? We have liftoff. That's what's up. Awesome. Good deal. Okay. So getting to it, our, our scripture for today is Acts 5, 12 through 16. If you got your Bibles, follow along. If not, I'll do my best to go slow. Starting verse 12. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all together in Solomon's portico, but none of the rest dared associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem, and increasingly believers in the Lord, large numbers of men and women were being added to their number, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any of them. The people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together as well, bringing people who were sick or tormented or unclean spirits, and they were all being healed." So the thing I've, I've loved about 
the book of Acts is, and I know our, our hearts are on the same page with this, is that, that hunger for the church to be what it was meant to be. And not, uh, and I'm sorry if this offends people, but the thing that keeps kind of coming on my heart is, don't even start. I saw that. She knows me too well. Is it, it hurts. Like it, it almost physically hurts me to visit a church or see a church that is, you know, we come in, we sit down, um, we hear a feel good message, and then we walk out and it's like nothing ever happened. Um, we're, we're walking around, we're tiptoeing around um, the hard parts of the word because it makes people uncomfortable. And what we're doing is we're enabling things to stay that should go when we do that. Um, Jesus didn't pull punches. <laughs> and there's a reason for that. It's just like, you know, a parent as a kid, it's like, I'm going to give you the, the straight truth no filter because I'm not benefiting you if I blow smoke. You know what I mean? It's, and that's what I love about Acts is we're digging into what did the early church look like because we know man has made it something different. Um, and I didn't intend to go on a little bit of a soapbox, but we've turned it into something that's not. Um, the word that always comes to mind for me is like, it's more of a country club. Um, yeah, sorry. That was was that me? Okay. Um, and I'm I'm so hungry for people to see who God is. And I think it, yeah, it was, it was you, Chris. And you might have to help me out on this quote. But he said, if there's people in the world around us that think that God is just some mean, you know, spirit being that's just waiting to slam the gavel on you, then we're not doing our job. Because God is love, and it's our job to show that. And if we're not doing that, who's going to do that? And I, f- I feel like we've gotten lazy. I feel like we've gotten complacent. We've gotten distracted. Um, our, our problems have become bigger than what our God is. And it's easy to do. Don't get me wrong. But that's what I always, if, if I'm asked to teach on something, I'll sit and I'll marinate on the scripture. And I'm like, okay. What is your heart, God? What do you, if you had the mic right now, what would you want your people to hear? And what I'm seeing here when I, when I look at this, I see a lot of amazing things. We see, would anybody disagree that we see the church operating the way it was intended to operate? You've got guys moving, I'll back up a step, filled with the Holy Spirit, walking out with purpose, what God called them to do, being intentional every day, Signs and wonders are happening not because of these men or something special, but because they are filled with Holy Spirit and being obedient to what God has called them to do. And there's some other stuff in here. This is real. Like This is a great snapshot of what it really looks like. People walking this out the way we're supposed to walk it out, not coming in, putting on our church hat, taking our church hat off when we go home, and then the world has no clue that we even go to church. And we see something very real here, and we'll dig into here in a little bit. But one of the ones that really hit me immediately, Chris and I were talking about this last week, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It said, verse 13, but none of the rest dared associate with them. When we talk about being sanctified or being set apart, <coughs> that's, uh, 
a lot of times we don't, um, I think we shy away a lot of times from walking what God has called us to because it's lonely. And so a lot of times maybe we're the only one in our environment that's doing that. Or we don't, what will people think? Or I don't want to offend somebody or what. And those are all, I mean, those are all real things that we, we deal with and we have to push through. But it just, it, it just dawned on me with this, with the season that I've been in, it's like, man, I feel that so, so hard, um, with the culture we have today. Um, and it dawned on me, it's just like, okay, if this is what the early church looked like, and if this is what an effective church looks like, I mean, think about that, large numbers being added daily. And I'm going to challenge myself with this one, too. When was the last time we invited someone to church? <sighs> that hurts. Good job, Miss Donna. Well done. That one stings. What's the difference? What's the difference with the early church than what we see today? What's the difference? There's a lot of things. Intentionality being a big one. Um, focus. What's that? They didn't have to ask. They saw it. They wanted what they had. And so what stuck out to me was, okay, God, if this is what it looks like, what is preventing us or what is inhibiting us as a people from looking like that as a church? And so that's what we're going to be walking through today is, is some things that I see, and I imagine you guys do too, as what are, what are some of our hurdles that, that keep us from looking like what we're supposed to look like, from walking like we're supposed to walk. And one of those biggest ones for me, I believe, what... You know, for those of you that don't know, I'm a, I'm a, I've been in law enforcement for 12 years, and I get to see let's just say it's a target-rich environment for people that need Jesus. Let's just say that. Um, and the biggest hurdle when I when I talk to these people and I see them, and believers especially, is we don't know who we are. We don't know who we are. We don't know our identity in Christ. We don't know. We just don't know who we are. And we walk through life thinking that I'm not good enough. And, you know, if God can only use me or maybe possibly God wants these good things for me, maybe. All the while it's there. We just don't ever access it because we don't understand it. We don't believe it. And so I wanted to go through some scriptures this morning. To And I understand this is pretty informal for church, but why do you say we bring the Bible into it? <laughs> he can say it better than I can. This, this scripture's been on my heart this last entire year. Psalm 139, verse 16. Most people know it. You know, it's, you know, uh, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, I knit you together in your mother's womb, that psalm. But verse 16 is your eyes have seen my formless substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me. When as yet one of them ever came to be. One of the big truths we got to wrap our mind around is you got to understand who you are in God's eyes. Before the foundation of the world, before you were ever born, God knew what he wanted for your life. 
and we jacked this up, and I know I've talked about this before, but it bears repeating, is we, we theologically mess this up in church. We say that, well, if all the days were ordained for me, then all these bad things that happened to me or around me was God's plan, negative. Not true. It's the enemy who comes to still kill and destroy. Again, to recap, in the garden, it was perfect. There was no sickness. There was no death. There was no pain. There was no affliction. There was nothing bad. That was God's design. Sin entered the world, and so came along with everything else. But that was not God's will, and that was not what was intended. Then we fast forward, like we talked about in spiritual warfare, that put the world in context. Satan is the god of this world. The whole world lies in his power. He's the ruler of this world. The whole world, He's the prince in the power of the air, and on and on. We're in his playground. He comes to still kill and destroy. The bad things that happen in this world are because of him. And the good things that happen in this world are because of those of us who allow God to work through us and accomplish what he wants to accomplish here. And, but we, under, we have to understand that. And that's a big identity buster right there. If you don't understand that who God says you are and that before you ever born that he had plans for you. And like we see the next scripture here, Jeremiah 29, 11. We all know it. We can all quote it mostly. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to prosper you, not to harm you, hope plans for hope and a future. So is anybody confused about what's God's will and what's not? And what, what in our life that we experienced came from God and what did not? He did not have the plan for that trauma. That abuse, that... Failed relationship, whatever it is, that was not his will. A lack of God causes that. God doesn't cause that. Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. God did not create the mess. He did not create the problem, but he will use it, I promise you. I've seen it a million times over for, for myself and in other people's lives as well. We're going to dig into Ephesians 1 here for a second. Because there's some stuff in here. I'm still trying to wrap my brain around. Donna's already ahead of me. <laughs> Let's just, just receive this. Like we said, every word in here is true. And I'm going to challenge you. If there's something in the Bible that you don't agree with, you got to assume you're wrong. I think I got that from you. Something to live by. If the word challenges you, there's a reason for it. Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I'm sorry the words aren't up on the screen, but I love words, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Past tense. You didn't earn it, it's already been given. When you became a believer and you accepted Jesus in your life, you inherited a ton of amazing benefits that came along with it. And this is one of them. This is already available to you, Danton. You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, and that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to the adoption of sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now let's not mess this up and say some people are not predestined to be believers. Let's not, let's not get this all wonky and get all religious on me, okay? 
Did you catch it? Psalm 139, everybody has a book written about them. The guy's sitting in the jail cell, the guy's on death row, Adolf Hitler, if you want to get really crazy about it. Had a book written about him. Whether or not he got to see that come to fruition depends on what we come into agreement with and how we walk out our lives. That was not God's will. There was a purpose and a plan for everybody to get there, to walk blameless before him, not because we earn it, and we'll get there here in a little bit, but that's important to wrap your brain around, that before the foundation of the world, and I don't have it in here, maybe one of the pastors can help me out because I'm spacing out on it, but it also says that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. That's okay in for a second. Before the world was created, they already knew that Jesus was going to have to come and die to redeem us because he knew that man would fall. The plan was already done. He predestined us as adoptions of son and daughters through Jesus Christ himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace with which he favored us in the beloved In him we have a redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in him regarding his plan of the fullness of the times to bring all things together in Christ, things in the heavens and the things on earth. Verse 11, in him we also have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance with the plan of his will. Catch that? You have an inheritance right now, broken as we are. It doesn't go away. Guys, your inheritance does not go away. You're not disqualified from it. Verse 12, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be the first, I'm sorry, would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also have listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of the promise, who is the first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. Does anybody have any question about whether or not you have Holy Spirit or not? If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for you, that he rose again on the third day, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and you confess that, you are saved. Pastors, am I wrong? Right? You get Holy Spirit when that happens? We are sealed in him And that is the first installment of our inheritance. As soon as that thing happens, every every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, as Ephesians 1 talks about, is accessible to you. All of us. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and for your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you. Sorry, I'm doing a terrible job of reading, y'all. Do not cease giving thanks to you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the boundless greatness of his power 
towards us who believe. There's a whole lot in there, guys, so I hope you caught it. It's heavy. I think you could probably spend a few years digging into this. He wants the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened so that we will know the hope of his calling. All of us in this room have a calling. Every single one of us. None of us are disqualified by current past circumstances. What we think disqualifies us or anything like that. And the riches of the glory. He wants us to know the riches of the glory of his inheritance. He wants us to be aware of what our inheritance is, y'all. In the saints. And what is the boundless greatness of his power towards us who believe? In accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Listen to this verbiage, guys. Jesus is seated at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and made him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Is there anything that Jesus doesn't reign over? And I geeked out on that because it wasn't until a few months ago that I actually picked up on it, the verbiage, okay, where Jesus is seated currently. Right hand of the Father, above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and every name that is named. Sounds an awful like Ephesians 6, doesn't it? Right? Ephesians 6.12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, and the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So everything that we are that is opposing us, everything that we are up against, Jesus is seated above. Any disagreement there? Okay. Jump into Ephesians 2. It gets even better. And you were dead in your offenses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all previously lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the rest. And I love this phrase, but God. <laughs> it's like it said, we were a mess, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Catch it? That's big. First and foremost, again, back just wrapping us up, trying to get us to understand who we are as believers, it is by grace through faith that we're saved. Pastor Justin, what's grace mean? You know, that unmerited favor that just, we didn't earn it, in other words, is what I'm getting at. It was a gift. When you believed, that was a gift given to us. And we're not saved by works, we're saved by faith, through grace. And we are seated with him in the heavenly places. Okay, so a little, little side note, we'll go on a little rabbit trailer for a second. According to scripture, there are three levels of heaven. Paul talks about a third heaven, someone was caught up into the third heaven, which is where God's throne room is. And I think we can all kind of track with if there's a third heaven, there must be a first and a second, correct? 
and he's seated above that. So would we agree that rulers and authorities and the darkness of this world would be below that, first and second, first heaven, correct? And we are seated with him. We are physically here in the first heaven, but we are seated in the spirit with him in the third heaven at the right hand of the Father. Technically speaking, being a tactical fan, it's, we got the high ground, in other words. But the problem is, and I heard this, this quote the other day, and it was just a massive to me, because for me it's just like, I know the information, but sometimes the way people package it, you're just like, get rocked by it. And he says, why are we using first heaven solutions to solve first and second heaven problems when we're seated in the third and I can be the first to tell you when, when things get hard, it's not every time that my, my go-to default mode is I'm immediately busting out my spiritual weapons and I'm going to town and I'm fighting from victory, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's not our normal natural go-to, but it's because we forget. We've, we don't understand who we are. And that's what I'm trying to put together. I know it's kind of slow going, but you, you're kind of tracking with where we're at. There's a book written about you. God knows the plans he has for you. He has put everything in place for you that you would ever need is where we're headed here. So we have to understand where we're seated, where we're fighting from. Verse 7 of Ephesians 2. So that in the ages to come, he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. This is not of yourselves. This is not of yourselves. Okay. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So I don't know if any of you guys ever go to that mental place where you're like, I sure wish I was good enough for God to use me today. And then you have to course correct yourself and go, oh, wait a minute. He already knows. He's just hoping that I come in agreement with it. He's just hoping like I wake up and go, hey, bro, I've got some assignments for you to do, but I need you to wake up and come into alignment with what I'm calling you to do. It's there. No matter how far off the rabbit trail we go in our lives, no matter how far astray we go, that doesn't change. Our book doesn't change. Our purpose, our calling, our giftings do not change. Do we get it? Am I, am I getting crazy up here? Does that make sense? And that's what helps for me. It's like, how do we walk this thing out? If we want to walk this thing out successfully and be the church that we're called to be, we have to understand who we are, where we're fighting from, what resources we have at our disposal, and we have to operate there. We are not victims. We feel like it a lot. Sometimes we talk about ourselves like we are. We are conquerors. Yeah. Sorry, scratch that. More than conquerors, Miss Donna. Doesn't feel like it sometimes. But the reason why it doesn't feel like it is because we're agreeing with what our circumstances say versus what God's word says. And that's the fight right there. We have to fight from where we are in Christ, our identity in him. 
Moving right along. So we're going to hop to 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient to you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So I put some scriptures in here to combat the disqualifiers that are going off in your head right now. Okay, When we start talking about what all we have access to and we're seated in heavenly places and all these things are still part of us, if we're being honest with ourselves, it goes, well, maybe not me. Let's blow some holes in that real quick, shall we? The Lord is not willing for any to perish. For those of us that I grew up in the church and we're told that you're a believer because you were predestined, but Johnny down the street who's stuck in an addiction is not predestined. Is garbage. What's God's will? That none would perish. Why? Because they've got a book written about him in heaven that he's desperately wanting them to walk into. For all to come to repentance. Next one. Keep bringing this into perspective here. John 3.16, we know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Is anybody disqualified from that? We good? I think we're tracking. Romans 10.9. How do we get there? Most of us in this room have done this. If you haven't and you want to after we get done, please, by all means, let's come talk about it. Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The enemy's really good about making us second-guess that. Am I really saved? Just me? That's a promise, y'all. You confess it with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus, that Jesus, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart, the person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth, confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. John 14, 12. Truly I say to you, now we're starting to turn the corner here, guys. So we had to understand who we are as believers. We had to knock out some disqualifiers because the enemy tries to get us all with the, you know, you don't, you don't have a purpose. You've made too many mistakes. You've um, fill in the blank with whatever disqualifier the enemy wants to hurl at you there. Now that we've turned that corner, now that we believe in him and we've confessed with our mouth that he is Lord, what can we do from that position? So John 14, 12, Truly I say to you that the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Pause there for a second. Wrap your brain around it. Jesus raised people from the dead, walked around healing all who were oppressed of the devil, and he says to us, the one who believes, the works that I do, he will do also. And then, hurl this on top of there, greater works than than these he will do. Again, if that challenges you, you have to assume you're wrong. Okay? I'm still trying to wrap my brain around it. Yeah, I do too. Absolutely. Truly I say to you 
the one who believes in me, the works that I do, this is Jesus speaking, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do. Because I am going to the Father. What happened when he went to the Father? Who did he send to be our helper? It's not us accomplishing, it's Holy Spirit through us, we are a conduit. That's a good game. Mark 9, 22 and 23. If it is often, I'm sorry, it has often thrown him, so we're talking about the uh, scripture, if you remember, the little boy was kind of tormented by unclean spirits with um, seizures and all these kinds of things. That's where we're at. Mark 9, 22. It has often thrown him into the fire and into the water to kill him, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus said to them, if you can. I love the sense of humor sometimes. They tell Jesus, if you can do it, do something. He's like, if we can. And he says, powerful. All things are possible for the one who believes. So how do we accomplish greater things? We have to expand our ability to believe. Has anybody experienced that? I know we've shared this a couple times, but side note story, when we were down in Oklahoma for the Greater Things Conference, and we came out, and I think it was, uh, what was his name? This is not important. But saw this man that had a, a really bad limp. And we went and made contact with him. And sorry, please stop coming. We made contact with him. <laughs> went and spoke with him. <laughs> Can't shut it off. I almost said it again. So I went and talked to this man. And this is like, I see this is going on. What's going on with you? Well, my knee's been jacked up for year, decades, actually. Can we pray for you? Absolutely. We pray for him. The next thing you know, he's running down the parking lot. No pain in his knee. It's like, that's awesome. We're standing there and pastor's doing what pastors do. He's, he's preaching. And Holy Spirit hits me again. He's like, and I asked him, I was like, do you have one leg shorter than the other? He's like, oh, I don't know. Well, he was a cart pusher, so he had this, um, you've seen those cart pushing machines? Yeah. The, have you seen those? Looks like, almost looks like a lawnmower at the back of it that pushes them all. And I was like, humor me, sit down. And had I not, and this is the whole point of the story, had I not seen or heard of someone having a leg grow that had a short leg, I would not have had the faith to pray for that. It had expanded my belief to the point, because Jesus says, whenever you pray, pray as if you already received it. He says, pray without any doubting, right? If we don't have the faith for it, there's going to be doubt present. We're not going to accomplish the mission. But because my expectation of what God could do had grown, I'm like, let's go after it. And pastor can back me up on that. That was crazy. That was amazing. And once again, it had nothing to do with these two white boys right here. It had everything to do with Holy Spirit and the fact that we were willing to go out on that limb and, uh, and just believe. We're going to hear that word a lot here in a minute. So for those who believe these works, I will do. All things are possible for those who believe. Mark 16. And he said to them, go into the world and preach the gospel. Okay, sound familiar? So, Amy, we've got one job, right? We have a friend that he gave a mess. I'll never forget that. It's like, you have one job. I'm like, I got it. Um, and this is for everybody. This isn't for just pastors, missionaries, 
whatever. This is for everybody. He's talking to everybody here. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The one who has believed and has been baptized will be saved, but the one who has not believed will be condemned, period. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents and they will drink of deadly poison and they will not hard them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. It frustrated me when I realized that that tag is very rarely shared along with the Great Commission. Um, I grew up Baptist. We did not talk about praying for healing. We did not talk about the demonic, which is extremely real. If you guys want to down and dirty on spiritual warfare, we did one just a few days ago or come to 4 o'clock with pigs in the parlor. We'll get into that. It's extremely real. Um. But we need to hit on that. For those who believe, these signs will accompany those who believe. So our job, to recap again, I know we've talked about this before. Jesus came, he preached, healed the sick, he cast out demons. He taught 12, preach, heal the sick, cast out demons. 72, preach, heal the sick, cast out demons. And great commission for all of us who believe, go into all the world, make disciples, preach, cast out demons, heal the sick. That's our job. Okay, now that we know what being a believer gets us, where we are seated, how we are positioned, what we are called to do, belief in and of itself is not enough, right? I always heard that knowledge is power, right? And it dawned on me one day, I'm like, no, knowledge applied is power. I can, I can have all the head knowledge in the world, and if I'm not using it, how many have kids? <laughs> they know what they should do, but if they don't apply what they know, it's going to not end very well for them. And so we, we have to know. So James 2, and this is verse 18. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. 19, you believe that God is one. You do well. The demons believe. That one's massive. That one gets me every time. It's like, cool, you believe in God. Awesome. So do the demons. You're not impressing anybody by the fact that you believe in God. It's, what are you doing? Are you bearing fruit? Are you staying attached to the vine? Can someone meet you and without you saying a word about Jesus, know who you are and where you stand? I mean, that's our goal, right? I'm standing here in front of you today because somebody did that. Never talked to me about Jesus? I was like, what is up with this dude? I was in seventh or eighth grade, and I'm like, there is something about this cat, and whatever he's got, I want it. I don't know what it is. That's our goal. That's what we're aiming for. We have to be that. That's, that's what we're called to do. So, so we know we have to be about something, right? There's some proactivity there that we have to do. And then there's some things here that we talked about, some hindrances um, to our, our bearing fruit and being obedient to God. And... Uh, had this note there to throw it out there because it's, it's a mindset we're getting stuck in a lot, is consensus, does God always get his way on earth? Valid question, right? Because we believe that. I mean, we're, we're taught that a lot of times. 
oh, it must have been God's will because God's in control. I'm sorry. I love God just as much as you, but he is not in full control of this place. He's in control of those of us who allow him to be. And that's a, that's a hard truth to wrap our brain around. But you think about, Pastor could back me up, he'd know the scripture better than me. Israelites in the desert. How far of a walk was that? To the promised land, right? Yeah, around a dozen days or so. How long did it take them? Weird. Was that God's will for that to happen? Or to they were a little slow on the uptake, I think, right? We're not any different. This was massive to me. A couple things before we crack into this is I need everybody to understand that there is nothing in heaven limiting you. Take into context what we read, where you're seated, what inheritances you have, what is inherently given to you when you are a believer, what you have access to. Think about those things and ask yourself, is God doing anything to limit you from receiving that? Is anything in heaven limiting you from receiving that? So if you're not seeing that come to fruition in your life, we have to ask the question why, right? It's on our end. (laughs) There's something jacked up with the receiver, guys. Kevin Zadai said this. I don't know if you guys, some do, I know pastors do. Um, Kevin Zadai, if you are in the car or you need, you, you're wanting to hear a sermon, look up Kevin Zadai. Z-A-D-A-I, one of the most anointed men I've ever heard speak in my life. Um, he had a radical encounter with Jesus. He died on the operating table and had an encounter with Jesus and got all this revelation. But the, the man's life just blows me away and I cannot stop listening to him. I'm like... It's, it's amazing. But what he said is when he was in heaven, one of the things he realized is like there was essentially kind of an instant when he was face-to-face with Jesus, he had kind of an instant audit of his life. And what he immediately saw was he'd only operated at about 35% of what his capacity was. And, he, and to hear his testimony, of course, he's really humble about it, but he, when he's sharing his testimony, it's um, he's a born-again believer. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was a student in Bible college. He evangelized all this stuff, and he was operating at 35%. And that challenged me because we think that, well, I'm only making this much impact because that's only what God can do with me. It's just like, no, we are limiting our ability, just like expanding our faith with, I heard that God can do this, and that's what the Bible is for, honestly. I mean, if we really look at it, the Bible is for, this is who God is, this is what he can do, And we need to know that so that we know what we can ask of him, what we can trust on him to do. And the more we know about what he can accomplish, the more we're going to step out and ask him to or step out in the faith on that. But that one one wrecked me because if he was operating at 35%, I don't even want an audit right now. Um, It was was massive. But we got to wrap our minds around that. You have a book written about you. God already knows the plans he has for you. They're good. He's not limiting you. So we have to do some introspective thinking there. So there's three things that I came across as I was, I was sitting there processing on this. Okay, what, what as believers is preventing us from operating at full capacity? And so a few things, and there's probably more. This is just what was kind of on my heart. So three things are warfare, so spiritual warfare. We do have a very real enemy. 
our knowledge, which is what we've been working on now, is boosting up your knowledge of who you are. Because if you don't know, you don't know what you don't know, right? And then our willingness is the other great inhibitor for us. Warfare, we've already talked about. There's a YouTube video on it if you want to refresh on that. So we're not going to touch on warfare today. We're going to talk about knowledge and willingness. So first and foremost, so knowledge. So we learned in the spiritual warfare talk in John 8.32 that it's the truth that sets us free. Lies keep us stuck. It's the truth that sets us free. And knowledge is how we obtain that, knowing God's word is what sets us free from those things. It's important because Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Again, we talked about this in the spiritual warfare talk. It's what we don't know about God, about who we are, about what we have access to, about... Yes, ma'am? Actually, Rana, on our last Monday night, she, I wrote that down, that very scripture, and she was very pregnant about pointing out that the scripture says, my people... So this I've experienced that all the time. What we don't understand about what the enemy can do, what we don't understand about who we are, what we don't understand about who God is, is what keeps us stuck in lies in certain areas and keeps us from operating at full capacity. So James 1.5, but if any of you lacks wisdom, this is what's cool about God. If any of you ask, lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that person ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. As a body, we are very double-minded a lot of times. This is a constant battle for me, wrestling with that doubt, toggling back and forth between agreeing with God's word and agreeing with what my circumstances say. But... It's our ability to bind and loose. It's our ability to ask for things like that. He says, ask. Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or what person is there among you who, is, who when his sons ask for a loaf of bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will give him a snake. He won't give him a snake, will he? So if you despite being evil, if you despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you good things to those who ask him? It's so simple but so profound at the same time. How often do we ask? Are we seeking? Are we knocking? Are we looking for that information? Are we are we pressing in? Are we digging in? Are we pursuing a relationship with him? Because it's super easy in today's day and age to get distracted and get off course. But when we're off course, we're not operating at full capacity. We're not obtaining the things that are written in our book for us. We're not walking into things that God's called us to. So it's something to be aware of. It's a hindrance to us. And I think of, when I think of the posture on kind of how we, we can emulate that, I think it came from 
It was still on my heart from a message you did, maybe a few months back even, but about Moses. So it comes out of Exodus 33, and Moses is having this encounter with God. Exodus 33, 13, but he says, Now then, if you have found fa- if I have found favor in your sight in any way, please let me know your ways. I love this posture. He's pressing in. He's just like, let me know your ways. I want to know more about you. So that I may know you in order that I may find favor in your sight, Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. But Moses wasn't done yet. (laughs) This is so good. I love this heart posture. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us from here. That's so good. I love that. And Kevin's one of the things he says is every morning before he walks out the door, he says, God, I'm not going if you're not going with me. But it's kind of that, that posture and that awareness of, I only want to do it just like Jesus. He only said what he heard the Father say, and he only did what he saw the Father do. What's our posture look like? Because if we're doing our day our way, we're going to miss opportunities. Are we pressing in to him? And for those of you that, that have really experienced God working through you and felt his presence, not having it is torture when you've experienced it. To not feel like you're walking in him, it is so intense and just, ugh. I don't even know how to explain it. Verse 17, there's, there's more here. Because like I said, Moses is getting greedy, but I love it. The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, Please show me your glory. And I love this just interaction between a, a man and his God. Please show me your glory. Because even his presence wasn't quite quenching his thirst for this. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. But he said, obviously, he's a, the scripture says, no one can see my face and live. He said, I'm going to pass by you. You're going to hide in this cleft of this rock. I'm going to pass by you, and you're going to get to see the back of me. And scholars say that that's where Psalm 91 came from. Say Moses wrote that after that cleft in the rock experience of being in the shadow of the Almighty that nothing can touch me. And it has this massive long list of all these things that could harm us. And it says, for those who dwell on the shoulder of the Most High will rest under the shadow of the Almighty. And oh, by the way, all these amazing protections. Essentially, you're invincible. In other words, when we understand who we are in the Spirit. It's so good, but I, I love that. Because not only does it show an amazing heart for God, but it also shows the heart of a father towards his son also. He's begging him for more, and he was just like, okay, I'll give you what you can handle. Asking you will receive. So that's knowledge. Having knowledge of who God is, who we are, and all that thing will allow us to operate more effectively. So now we're moving along to willingness. This one's the challenging one. This is the one that gets me all the time. How willing are we to walk what God is calling us to walk? Let's put that into perspective with some scripture. The opening scripture said, the apostles are doing this thing. Signs and wonders are following. People are getting saved. The church is growing. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. Of course, this is right after the Ananias and Sapphira deal uh, that Chris and Pastor Justin broke down. No, I guess that was, that was yeah. We, Pastor and Chris and I kind of tackled that scripture together. But um, I can honestly say this. 
Um, this is one of the best seasons I've ever had in my faith. I'm stronger in my faith than I've ever been. At the same time, it's been one of the loneliest. Because when you're walking in a direction and not everybody's walking the same way, a lot of times you find yourself by yourself. That's why it's so important to surround yourself with good people. And if there's someone in here that feels like isolating, that's the enemy. Don't do that. That's silly. That's bad strategy. Are we willing to pay the price necessary to walk as the apostles did? That's the one thing we miss. It's like these guys are doing amazing things, and we've already laid the, laid the groundwork. We have access to what they're doing, right? We have the same abilities. We have the same inheritance. We have the same God. We have the same Holy Spirit that they did, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Nothing is different from us and them. They had a calling. That was their specific calling. Maybe your calling is a little different, but... You can plug the Great Commission into any job. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. My little, little awkward casting out demons not in the workplace, but I mean, th- that sort of thing can be done. Some scripture to kind of put this into context for us. So Luke 9, 23 and 20 through 26. And this is just a really cool interchange. Jesus is, uh, people are kind of at that point where they want to follow Jesus. And he says, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, this is the one who will save it. For what good does it do a person to gain the whole world but lose and forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him. And when it comes, when he comes in his glory, the glory of the Father and the holy angels. That's a, that's a tough one. That, that's, that's one that I've been pressing into. What does that look like? What's it look like to deny yourself? What's it look like to put what you want to the side to see, God, what do you want? I don't want to go if you're not going with me going to the Chiefs game or digging into the Word. And I'm I'm not saying everybody needs to do that. What I'm saying is, is what is Holy Spirit saying to you? What is He asking you to do? But we have to deny ourselves and pursue Him. And to what extent you pursue Him is to the same extent that He can use you. Does that make sense? Does everybody agree with that? If we're making our own decisions, going our own way, taking our own path, (laughs) there's going to be times when we're not in line with what's in our book. In our lives, if you can imagine this, this is how I see it in my head. A big line across the top. So this is God. This is God's book that He wrote for you. Okay, all the plans and purposes and promises and provisions that He has for your life is a straight line up here. But what our lives end up looking like is this. Well, there's moments in time where we're in line with His Word and we see God move and we have this encounter, we have this experience, and then we dip back down and we we get into this this valley, this desert season, and all these bad things are happening, and then we get back up and we're toggling back and forth, but it's possible to stay and hang out up here. It's not easy because we're not perfect, but if we're not experiencing those things in our lives, we have to ask ourselves why, because again, it's not limited on God's end, it's limited on our end, what he's doing. But that's not an easy road. Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
so that you may prove what is the what the will of God, which is good and acceptable and perfect. Sorry, I should have taken these little cliff notes out. It's making me really hard to read. What does it look like to present your body as a living sacrifice where everything that you do is, all right, God, what are we doing next? And not a, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to fit God in on a Sunday. It's not easy. And I'm, I'm challenging myself right now as much as I'm challenging everybody else. But if we want what we read about in Acts 5, if we want the church to look like that, it comes with a sacrifice. And it's on our end. How much do we want it? How much are we willing to pursue it? What are we willing to give up to accomplish it? This is making me think of the apostles. Matthew 4.18. Now Jesus was walking by the sea. This is when he's recruiting, right? Now Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw the two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Whoa. Like how many times have we skipped over that? Immediately. Could you do that? I'd be like, uh, uh, like my kids are like wife, spouse, whatever, house. Immediately they left. Massive. I don't know if I could have done that. How many more would identify with this? I know I would. Oh, shoot. I don't have it in there. I believe this is in Matthew as well. Matthew 18, I believe. Correct me, somebody, if I'm wrong. It's either Matthew or Mark 18. For some reason, I didn't put it in my notes. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. When the scribe came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. That's a good start. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And another of his disciples said to him, Lord, allow me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said, to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. That challenges me. Because we go, wait a minute, what? He can't even bury his father? What Jesus is saying is, essentially, can you hang? Like, if you want to do this thing, we, we have to be all in on this thing. And then they immediately get onto the boat and they go out and they experience this massive storm. And immediately the apostles are like, you know what? <laughs> Maybe this Jesus stuff ain't all it's cracked up to be. Um, it came around full circle for him, though it was good. But are we, are we seeing that, that challenge of what these guys did to get to that Acts 5 level of faith, that Acts 5 walk? That's massive. Can we do that? So Jesus calms the storm. You know, the whole, save us, Lord, we're perishing. Like I said, the thing about that time, I thought, has anybody, sorry, my brain works in weird ways. Anybody seen the movie The Matrix? Yes. And at the beginning, you take, he has a choice, red or blue pill. And if you take the red pill, then you get to go on this wild ride of seeing what the real world actually looks like. And it's, your mind is opened up to what the, you know, the deception of the world that they've created around them. And there's at one point, the guy says, why didn't I take the blue pill? You know, has anybody ever had that moment? I know I have in my walk where um, I, I'm actually, matter of fact, I'm smack dab right in the middle of that season right now. Pastor Justin knows all the nitty-gritty details. But around about a year ago, I had a baptism in the Holy Spirit experience. And at the beginning, right out the gate, I had a, I had a, a vision, a dream, very clear what God was calling me to do. 
And I'm like, cool. I don't know what any of that means, but I'm in. But if I would have known at that moment what this year was going to look like, I might not have pulled the trigger on that. And I'm just being straight with you. Anybody else experience that? Because I'm like, this has been the most intense season I have ever experienced in my life. Intense, painful, hard, exhausting, like challenging. I mean, but it's been awesome because it, it, it tests, it's the test that determines, do you actually believe this thing? What does this actually mean to you? Are you willing to do what it has, what you have to do? Are you willing to put up with it? Are you willing to push on? Are you, how strong is your faith? You don't know how strong your faith is. You know, you don't know if your house is built on the rock or the sand until the storm comes. And the storm reveals a lot of things. But I'm thankful for the storm because I don't want, maybe weak's the wrong word, I don't want vulnerable spots. I don't want spots that aren't rock solid in him. And so, you know, I know, I know I've used the analogy of a, of a police officer before, but I was this way too. We all are when we're new. You come out of the academy, you have the knowledge, right? But you haven't applied it yet. And you're like, I'm a cop. No, you're not. <laughs> you haven't been tested yet. You haven't been in a fight. You hadn't to put, had to point your firearm at somebody. Or a lot of other things that aren't fun to do. It's like you haven't been battle tested yet. And it's not because they're not going to be. It's not because they're not good enough. It's just a lot of times, and I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful that the last two years has been a royal suck fest because when we're cruising along in cruise control as a believer and we haven't been tested, we don't have a need to dig deep. We don't have that that desire. We don't have that that drive to pursue God, to be that Moses type of faith. Show me your glory. Like, your presence is great. I don't want to go anywhere without it, but I need more. I want your glory. I want to see it. That's big. So big, I totally lost my train of thought. The other funny thing that came to mind when we were talking about what we have to give up and are we willing to do it, is, uh, has anybody ever heard the, the quote, Everyone, everybody wants to be a lion until it's time to do lion stuff? Right? It's messy. It's messy. It's hard. Interesting part about that, the irony is Jesus is the lion of Judah. Everybody wants to do lion stuff until it's time to do lion stuff. I want to follow Jesus. I want to surrender to him. I want to experience everything that he has planned for me. Until it's time to do lion stuff. It's a partnership, though, too. It's teamwork. It makes a dream work, as I tell my kids. It's a, we have to co-labor, the Bible says. We co-labor with Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so that, that, that's been challenging me. It's like... Are you willing to do what it takes? Because the Bible, I forget where, but he says, to each of us is given a measure of faith. I don't fully understand the theology of that. I'll be straight with you. But I do know that there are some of us who are going to operate at 35% or less. Most of us probably are going to operate at 35% or less because we're not pursuing it. And to think about what you could have done, what you could have accomplished, what you could have done for God's kingdom 
if only you would have been more in tune and pressing into what he wanted to do in your life than what you wanted to do in your life. It's easy to do. I've been there, get there all the time still. Here's another, here's another one is, are you willing to pay, pay the price for it? Mark 10, 17, the rich young ruler, right? As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? But Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he said, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus showed love to him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But he was deeply dismayed with these words and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. Jesus goes on to say, it's, it's hard, it's, Bag me up, my brain just went blank there. It's easier for a camel to pass through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because there's, when you have a lot, it's a lot to give up. And it challenged him, and it doesn't say, I don't believe, but it's like, did he, did he ever decide that he wanted to pay that price? And again, it's just like, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul, to lose what God had called him to? Are we willing to do that? And then the persecution, and I just I chose this scripture because uh, again, are you willing to do lion stuff, right? Second Timothy three, it's kind of all encompassing here. Now you follow my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, and persecutions and suffering, such as happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and in Lystra. What persecution? What persecutions I endured, and out of them, all the Lord rescued me. Because that's the promise. He always gives us a way out of everything. Indeed, all who want to live in a godly way in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There is a promise. Anybody not experienced persecution as a believer? I can honestly tell you in the last year, um, I was I received a formal on letterhead letter telling me to cease and desist praying with suspects for my county attorney. And I'll be honest with you, like at first I was kind of like, really? Cool. Um, and then part of me went, okay, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, okay? And then I realized, Holy Spirit's not going to ask me to do something that's going to violate God's word. So if he asks me to do it, I'm going to do it. So it is what it is. I'm still employed right now, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> but it, it will come. It will come. I've, I've been threatened to lose a job for spending extra time with people on a suicide call, talking spiritual warfare and praying with them and stuff like that. And it has nothing to do with me. It's just it stirs up the enemy when we do what we're supposed to do. All who want to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. But evil people and apostles will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in these things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And from childhood you have known the sacred things which are able to give you, goodness, I can't read today, the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is inspired by God, beneficial for teaching, rebuke, and correction, for the training of righteousness, so that man or woman and God may be capable and equipped for every good work. So, 
person's accused is going to come, is it something you're willing to chase after? And maybe not, not everybody can answer that question. And we all have varying levels of faith, as we talked about. But I want to challenge you. I want you, I want you to understand who you are and what you have access to, what your capability is as a believer, is far more than what most of us will ever attain. But also, we covered why you shouldn't be disqualified from that. Why whatever past perceived failure, mistake, or whatever does not disqualify you from walking in the fullness of what God has prepared for you and predestined you for, mind you, again, before the foundation of the world, before you were ever born, before the earth was created. And I had this note in there because this is just my thoughts as I'm, I'm processing through and pressing in the Holy Spirit on this message was, what a terrible sales pitch. <laughs> you know? This is going to suck. Go get it, you know. But I can promise you this. I'm, I'm a living proof of this. And I think many of us in this room are. I would not trade it. I wouldn't have asked for it. And at the beginning, if I would have known what I was going to walk through, I might have gotten a little sketchy on it. But I wouldn't have traded it for the world. It's, it's a beautiful dichotomy, a balance of... Knowing what that sacrifice is, but knowing that you don't get that Acts 5 faith, miracle, signs and wonders exploding in your environment around you and the church blowing up, people being saved left, right, and in between, getting delivered from things that they never thought they'd be rid of, things that they identified themselves by. That's worth all of it, guys. Amazing. Terrible sales pitch. But, yes, ma'am. All of it we might want to know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of the rain from the early spring. Isaiah, Dima, I just think that's funny that that just happens to be on the page I'm writing to it's weird, right? <laughs> God's cool like that. So what does that say to you, Miss Joy? Wow. <laughs> Side note, that just reminded me of something that's very important that I've been pressing into. Is we got to understand, and I know it's very basic, and most of us have that head knowledge, but we just haven't applied it yet, that God is not bound by our rules. In the first heaven where we operate, we have gravity. We have rules and laws of nature. God does not exist inside those same laws. So when we look at our circumstances, the facts, that cancer diagnosis, that whatever, God is not bound by those natural laws, and he operates outside of it. And when we operate outside of it, we see the miraculous happen. And not because we're super powerful or spiritual or anything like that. It's just you're being willing to be used, and that's what he created you for. And that is all of our jobs, according to the Great Commission, is to operate that way. We all have the ability to do so. So powerful. So, a bit of a tough pill to swallow, but this is why the Scripture says in Matthew 7, 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter it. For the gate is narrow and the way is constricted that leads to life, and there are few who find it. 
That has challenged me since the first time I heard it, read it, but it couldn't be more true. And we see why. We see what it costs to do it. You have to die to yourself. And for each of us, that looks a little different, but I would encourage you to press into that. Ask God, what does it look like? What, what part of your life are you still clinging on to too hard that he doesn't have access to? What thing, what, what percentage might be scary to ask that? But what percentage am I operating at, God? And what is inhibiting me from operating at a higher level? Because that's, that's discipleship. I mean, that's the journey. So we're supposed to work out our faith through fear and trembling. It's, it's, a, it's a pursuit, a constant house cleaning to get stuff out of our way that allows us to be more connected and more um, operating the, in, in accordance with our, with our calling. And uh, to wrap it up, and I'm so I know I, I talk way too much, but <laughs> don't laugh. That's not cool. Thanks, Dan. I love you, man. Looking back, too much laughing, way too much laughing going on over there. But looking back on God's faithfulness in my life, and we think, take a second, package this all back up. We saw what the church was designed to look like, what it can look like, guys operating and gals operating at full capacity, who we are, what we have access to. If we believe in him, we can do the works that he did and greater things. Hopefully we blew some doors off what expectations were about who we are, where you're seated, where we should fight from, where we operate from, far above all rule and principalities and anything the enemy wants to throw at us. And I have to suppress another spiritual warfare talk. I just get fired up about it. But looking back at that, I see, and I, you know, I guess I'll ask y'all, take a second, kind of process, process your life and see that, you know, what, what he's put on my heart to share today, how true that is for your own life, where you can see those moments in time where your life comes into alignment with his word, that encounter you had, that salvation moment, that, that time that person gave you that word that you needed in that worst possible time, um, where you felt him using you in a big way. Think about all that. And I think, like looking back through that, how he protected me, Think about that. How has he protected you all along the way? I think about, like, even back in high school, I was always friends with everybody. I wasn't in the popular crowd. I didn't drink. I was always the DD. I gave up a lot. I didn't go to all the parties. I didn't get invited to all the things. And at the time, it's easy to go, you know, you know, I wish, why can't I be that charismatic guy, the one, that life of the party, that, that fun guy? I'm like, I am so basic. Y'all, <laughs> I am serious. I'm serious. Follow me around for a week. I don't do anything exciting. <laughs> you know, I'm a normal guy. But I look back at it, and I go, God was protecting me. He was preserving me for that, that, that calling that he was leading me to. I think about all, like all the things, like, I've thought about or the enemies try to use to get me to disqualify myself for, or, you know, you could have been better at this or that, or <laughs> one of the funny ones was 
just processing with this through, you know, what we give up and looking back at this last two years, what I've gone through and what I've had to give up and went through. And I think I shared this with Pastor Justin, but I remember going on a run because that's my best prayer time. That's where I process. And I'm running, and as I'm running, I'm walking going past these houses that are just beautiful. Built yards, immaculate flowers for you ladies that do the flowers thing. That's awesome. I love it. I wish I had that ability in the time. And I'm, I'm running, and I'm seeing all these beautiful cars, and I'm like, man, what would that be like to have that job that provides everything they need. Because in the last two years, and I wouldn't trade it, to be honest with you. In the last two years, honestly, if you looked at it on paper, I probably shouldn't even be afloat right now. But that's, I think that that was on purpose because God was drawing me deeper. He had to create the circumstances to where I had to depend on him. And if I would have been able to provide for myself, I never would have got to that depth and that level of knowing him and trusting in him and seeing, it's just like, all right, God, I know you're going to do it because you've called me to do these things. And the bottom line says this, I can't do that. I know that in the natural, again, operating from the first heaven, right? That mindset, God's not bound by. I'm like, it's going to have to be you. $500 check drops on me randomly, $700 check. Though anonymous person just, you know, wanted to bless you, whatever. But yet you can run by and see that house and like, man, what that must be like? You know what? I bet they have lots of spare time, and I bet they even barbecue and watch the football game. Like, what would that be like? You know what I mean? And I'm like processing through, and I can feel my heart starting to kind of press into that jealousy. It's like, I work my butt off, and I don't get to experience that. But then I, I put it, bring it back full circle, and it has been a purpose. God is pulling me into that space. Because if I'm in that mode, I'm not driving deeper into him. And not to say that that's a bad lifestyle. That's amazing. Like Those are great things that all of us want to be comfortable and, and enjoy life and do those things. But I know that, that if, I, if me personally, if I was in that environment, I would miss out on so much. I wouldn't press into him as hard. I'd be distracted by the ball game, the hangout. The... So on those days when I get home from work, and I'm like, what am I doing? I am nonstop doing something for everybody else all the time. I'm exhausted. And I get do an inventory, and I go, all right, God, what can I cut? What, what is inefficient? What, in what areas am I wasting my time? And I can't find any. I'm going, something's got to give, Lord, you know? But at the same time, I know it's the season and place. And um, I woke up the other day, and I shared this with Pastor and a couple others, but I woke up the other day, and what, what's kind of been a pattern in my life here recently has just been amazing. I go to bed just pressing in. I'm in the Spirit just praying and connecting with God, and I fall asleep that way. And I, I end up, I find myself waking up that way too, just naturally. I wake up, and my thoughts, I'm, I find myself, I'm in prayer as I'm waking up. And I'm crawling out of bed, and I, I hear Holy Spirit say, you're in a desert season. Thanks for that late breaking news. That's that's sarcasm. That's not what I said. It, it hit me like a ton of brick, honestly, because a lot of times when we're in the middle of the storm, it doesn't feel like it has a purpose. It doesn't feel like it has an end. It just feels like you're getting beat to death, honestly. Um, but what it said to me was, is this is appointed. Like you're here, but it's not by mistake. It's doing something. And it also means a season, right, has an end. 
So that also gave me hope. I'm like, cool. It's like, I'm in gladiator school right now. This thing's making me stronger, better, wiser, smarter, pushing me deeper because I can promise you this, guys. If you don't have a need to drive and press into God, you won't do it. Unless you're just uber disciplined in that case, I want to friend you so I can learn from you. But for me, it takes that struggle to press into God, and he wants us to meet him there and go, you can trust me. Just let it go, give it to me, and watch me do what I do. It's one of the best places to be. That's why I can sit here in the middle of the worst two years of my life if you want to look at first heaven perspective and go, this has been the best two years of my life, hands down. There's a whole lot in there that weren't on my notes, but hopefully it's landing where it was supposed to. Bring it full circle. we got to know who we are. you got to know what you have access to. you got to know what's inside of you. You know that you're not disqualified. That it's not going to be easy. But it's going to be worth it. And challenge yourself. Are you willing to do, if you want that relationship, if you don't, awesome. Maybe that's your measure of faith. Maybe you're good with being that good person that checks the boxes, takes care of their family, is a good role model in their environment at the workplace. They talk to people about Jesus. They, they do those things. And, and that's the level you're good with. If that's cool with you, that's awesome. But I want to challenge you that there's more. There's a whole lot more.